Good morning. So we are in our series, the seven I am statements, where we are discovering a little bit more of who Jesus is each week, but I've encouraged us to to not only desire to learn and grow a little bit more of who Jesus is, but also who we are, that why would he be these particular things? What was it in us? What do we lack? What do we need within us? Why that Jesus knew about that would cause him to come and say, I am this for you. Now, the I am statement that we are uh, covering this morning, some would say that it's not as well known as some of the other ones. In fact, it's, and and others would say, it's not many of these I am statements we cherish in our hearts. Um, we, We talk about and we remember and we pray through. This I am statement perhaps is not as cherished as others. You hear people talking about, oh yes, Jesus is my good shepherd, and we cherish that. We don't hear as often, yes, Jesus is my gate. Yes, that's... So there's a a little bit of that not as well known. In fact, perhaps I should have given this one to Beth, and I taken the, I am the bread of life. That would have been missed opportunity. But But I would argue, or or actually some could argue, if we miss this I am statement, that perhaps we don't get to the other I am statements. That, That this I am statement is crucial and in some ways the gateway, the the door to the others, and it's very important that we understand what Jesus was saying, the invitation that he's giving, and how we receive that invitation so that we might live into all the other things, all the other promises, truths, blessing, and I am statements that Jesus has for us. So, in fact, very, perhaps not as well known, but very important. And Jesus is going to use a parable. I know that'll come as a shock to all of us, right? He's going to use a figure of speech that was really rooted in his culture. He's going to talk about shepherd and sheep pen and so forth. And um, that's not really a part of our most of our day-to-day lives is sheep pen. So I wanted to give a, a more modern-day illustration to, to kind of bring us and, and have us think about the significance of I am the gate, I am the door. Um, have you ever heard of these uh, new things called escape rooms? Some of you have. So have, have any of you participated in escape rooms? So we, okay, some of you have. All right, this is kind of a, a new thing. Well, our youngest, for her birthday, she wanted to do this escape room. And so 
What you do in the escape room is uh, you have, you're timed and you go in there and there's like some kind of like riddle or something or you have to find clues or you have to find these different things and, and you get to a door and if you figure out the riddle, you can go through the door that brings you to another room. Then you have to go and figure out that riddle or find those clues and go through and finally if you can get through the doors in the amount of time. So it's kind of fun. There's music going on. There's lights. Now, Paige also wanted the scary version of the escape room. That was her desire. Not really exciting for us. But so, um, so not only was it timed and you're trying to figure out these, you know, riddles and, and so forth, but you have skulls and scary dark places and you have these guys in full costume walking around and scaring you, throwing you off the riddle, right? Now, the, the silver lining in that is I never had to wonder where Kendra was. Like every 20 seconds, ah! Uh, and so I can always find her in that. So we, we did this escape room, and I, I guess technically we made it under the time limit. We were there. But they did help us quite, you know, there was occasion where a monster was like, instead of scaring me, he's like, hmm because hmm. we couldn't fit. So he, we, got, we got through it, but, but this idea was that we were looking for, we were trying to figure out how to escape this room and enter the door, right? And Jesus is going to say, in, in his context, he's going to say, I am the door, I am the gate, and as we turn to John chapter 10, if you would turn with me, would you think about this idea of what is it in us? What do we need to escape? What is Jesus inviting us to to escape? And then another piece of this, what is Jesus inviting us to enter into? What was it in us that caused Jesus to say, I am the door? Now, in John chapter 10, this is a, a story that's connected to two weeks ago. We were, uh, Jesus said, he healed a, a man born blind to set up, I am the light. And the Pharisees, or the religious leaders of Jesus' time, were were not excited about Jesus. They were upset with Jesus. One, he healed on the Sabbath day. Two, he was making these claims that they were very upset about. So in these chapters, 8 and 9 and 10, there's this argument, this back and forth, this frustration on the religious leaders. Jesus saying these things that are making them up upset. And it's true in John 10, it's the religious leaders that are still upset with Jesus. And so he just found the man who he healed, he leads him into eternal life. And then again, he says to the religious leaders, John chapter 10, verse 1, he says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. 
The one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to the shepherd's voice, the true shepherd. He calls his own sheep by name, and he, the shepherd, leads them out. When he has brought uh, brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech But the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate. Or depending on the translation, I am the door for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep have listened to them. Uh, have not listened to them. I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Another translation, have it in abundance and fullness. And then Jesus will go on to say, I am the good shepherd. We'll we'll handle the good shepherd next week. So Jesus is giving this figure of speech or this, this parable, this story and the religious leaders, they're arguing back and forth, and they're not quite getting it. And, and what Jesus does in part when he tells a parable is he's inviting you and I to ask questions, to figure it out. Not for us just to go, hmm, that's interesting. I, I, I don't relate to sheep or sheep pens, so you got anything else for me, Pastor? No, it's, it's to slow down and go, What's going on here? What, what's Jesus saying? Where, where's that? And so one way to do that is we ask the question, what does the different parts of the parable represent? One is the gatekeeper. There's a gatekeeper involved, and he guesses who the gatekeeper might be. There's actually some disagreement on that. Most would argue it's God the Father, that this is God's plan. He's over this story. Then the sheep pen represents something else, and that's really the key for us. What does the sheep pen represent? And that represents the kingdom of God. He's talking about the kingdom of God. But here's a key point that I think when I've heard this preached in the past, oftentimes is missed, is that it's the kingdom of God, but not just in eternity. It's the kingdom of God in the here and now. That this invitation isn't simply for us 
in terms of the kingdom of God of when we die or Jesus returns. But this, this invitation that Jesus is inviting us to is in the here and now. So if you look at verse 9 and he says, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. So there's a tendency to think about, yes, the sheep pen represents eternal life and salvation in the distance. But then he goes on to say in verse 9, they, the sheep, will come in and go out and find pasture. Was he talking about that we can go into salvation and then we can step out of salvation? He wasn't. He was talking about today, right now, the kingdom of God, that this is an invitation for you and me to continue to enter into more and more of his kingdom today. Yes, it's about salvation, but it's also about abundant life right now. Did you hear in the, in the uh, Titus verse that Beth led us to, to listen and, and process, did you hear that Paul talked about and when the kindness of God showed up, we were saved? He was talking about salvation in the past tense. This dynamic of the kingdom of God, there can be a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense. And I think we're missing what the invitation that Jesus is giving us if we simply see this as a future invitation. Now let me ask this question. What was Jesus inviting us to escape from and enter into? What was it that he is, in fact, right now doing that? I'd like to argue that oftentimes we think of salvation and, and there's a lostness to us. But would you remember that if the kingdom of God is here and now, he is speaking and inviting to that lost place in us in this very moment. That he is, knows that the human condition is that our hearts can wander and be separate from our creator. And he's inviting us to escape, not just the future lostness, but the present lostness, the, the, the present shallowness, uh, the, the present meaninglessness of life into a different kind of life, not directed by the enemy, verse 10, not, not a diminished life, not a, a life where, we ha, where, where crucial aspects of life have been taken away and removed, but a, an abundant life in the here and now. Now let's return to the Pharisees for just a moment. I want to argue the Pharisees aren't getting it, right? They're, they're confused 
But I want to argue that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, understood something about the kingdom of God that you and I don't always understand, that you and I can miss about the kingdom of God. And that's this, that the kingdom life, the kingdom of God, is something that must be pursued and entered. The kingdom of God is something that we continue to go after. I thought of right away, I was thinking about a a door. I was thinking about seeking and searching. And I just had to to play this little short video just just as a picture of the kingdom of God. Can we show this? This is, you'll recognize, most of you will recognize it. It's from Narnia. As much as I'd like to watch that longer. That's a super big closet, huh? Wow. Space in that. That's a picture, I would say, of what the kingdom of God is meant to be like. It's not meant simply to say, okay, I punch my Jesus card and I'm good to go. It's meant to be this invitation from the Lord that he has so much life, so much fullness, so much meaning, so much abundance in this life. It's this invitation that if we'd be childlike enough, that we continue to enter deeper into the kingdom of God. What the religious leaders knew 
passages like Jeremiah when God says to his people and to you and I, when you call on me and come and pray to me, I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This invitation from the God of the universe to enter into the fullness of life. I'd say this goes contrary to, to much in our culture. The, this, there is an idea out there of um, when I speak to folks and, and there's very little understanding of the kingdom, there's this idea of I'm okay and you're okay. We're just doing our own things. Remember uh, my friend, uh, we'll call him Mike, number of years ago that I was friends with Mike and, and he was not, uh, not a Christian and he was uh, not really pursuing anything, yet we were friends, liked Mike a lot, and I was given an assignment uh, in one of my classes to interview someone who had a different worldview than I did. So they're asking me to, to go after and interview someone with a different perspective. And so I asked Mike, he lived a little bit farther south in Chula Vista in Southern California. I was up in the Paramount LA area. So I called him, he said, okay, and so we talked. And his perspective was certainly, he, he shared a story. His mom was a Christian scientist. His dad was kind of raised nominally Catholic Christian, but he wasn't really interested. When we talked about eternal life, he said, well, you know, today I, I just, I handle things as they come. And I guess when I die, whatever is there, I'll just do my best to handle it when it comes. But you know, I think I'm, I'm okay. I think I'm okay. And so I finished my paper and I submitted it. All that, we're, we're good. About a year later, we got the call, the, the sense to go plant in Chula Vista, where Mike and his wife and family lived. And I contacted Mike and said, hey, I think we're going to be going down there. Would you, would you be interested in helping us out, even though that's not really your cup of tea? Because in Mike, there was a recognition, I could see in Mike there was a desire, there, there was a longing, there was a, he was successful, successful career, uh, he was a construction manager, he was making a lot of money, uh, wife, three boys, in, in many ways, things were going well, but it wasn't enough, the, there was a more to Mike. And, and so we, planted the church and Mike started helping out. So we, you know, we had to meet in this smelly cafeteria and uh, we would have to set everything up, the music and the, and Mike started helping. Then we started a, a men's Bible study. He said, Mike, would you mind coming? Sure. So he came, still not a Christian. We, we did a marriage thing and him and his wife came and started hanging out, doing all of that. Going well, we, we did a, a class that was kind of exploring Christianity. and Mike was there and he was asking questions. I could see the, this, this stirring in Mike's heart. 
Finally, the last week, it had been about a two-year journey, actually three years from that initial interview. And Mike had said, Eric, would you, uh, would you after church, would you come into my car? I want to play this song for you. And uh, it was a, uh, I can never remember. I'm not a country and Western fan. I forget the name of, his, the, name of the performer. Anyways, it was a country and Western song. And I'm, again, not a country and Western song. But it was about the kingdom of God. It is about the shallowness of life and where he, this performer, had found the Lord. And Mike is playing this song to me, and I said, Mike, I think it's time that you, you step into a different kind of life, a fullness of life. He said, yeah, Eric, I think it's time. And in his car, we, we prayed right there, and he entered through the door of salvation. And still to this day, Mike is pursuing more of the kingdom of God. He has become a leader in the church that he is worshiping now. My, my question this morning is, are you entering through the door of Jesus Christ. Are you knocking? Are you pursuing? Remember Jesus said this in Matthew 7. He said to us as a promise, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. And then he's going to go on to talk about the gifts that the Father wants to give us. It's not just the gift of salvation, but it's in this life, this invitation, that part of the Christian life and life Life in the kingdom is that we are knocking, that we're pursuing, that we're going after, that we're longing, that the lostness in our hearts and souls is not something that is resolved in the moment. In a, in a profound way, there's, there's part of that, and yet it still pushes us to seek more, to pursue more, to go after more. You see, the Pharisees, they understood, they believed that they were in the kingdom of God, and yet they were pursuing. Their, their problem was not that they didn't understand the kingdom of God is about pursuit, is about long, it's just that they were pursuing the wrong things. They were at the wrong door, so to speak. In John 5, a little bit earlier, Jesus said this, which was probably a reason why they were so upset. You have heard his voice. Um, you have never heard his voice. He's actually talking about the voice of God. Nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe in the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. 
These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. He's saying, yes, you're pursuing the law of God diligently. They saw that pursuit. He said, but you're missing it. The scriptures point to me. Now, before we leave the Pharisees, one more thing about the Pharisees that I think that they get that sometimes we cannot get today in life is that there, about the kingdom of God, there is not multiple gates or doors. There is only one. Look at verse one again when he says, very truly I tell you, the Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep by the gate, the gate. There is this, and, and when Jesus goes on to claim that he is the gate, there is this is exclusiveness to what Jesus is saying. He's saying there is but one door. And that's contrary to us today, right? We, in American culture, we like options, don't we? We, we like not just a couple of selections of ice cream, we like 31 flavors, there, there has to be. Uh, we, we like options on our cars, we, we like options on our entertainment, we like options on everything, including our spirituality, right? We like to have a variety of ways of entering in and enjoying and choosing. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is not like that. The kingdom of God, there's but one door. We have a, a, a picture of an, uh, a Palestinian, um, that would be a sheep pen, a small sheep pen. And uh, that would be one way where when at the end of the, uh, the grazing and, and the shepherd walking with the sheep, sometimes it would be one family, a small sheep. Sometimes it would be a couple of families where the, the sheep would all gather in. And there's usually almost always just a single doorway for the safety of the sheep. Jesus was saying, there's one gate one door into the life that I'm calling you into. I wanted to tell the story of, of one more other person. We'll call her Helena. And uh, she had come to, to church one time and wanted to, to meet with me. And she had uh, came in and I'd never met her before. And she really wanted to share her journey with me. And she dared, and she went back a number of years, 20, 25 years. And she shared how uh, she dabbled in um, a little bit. She was uh, uh, entered into Judaism for a while. And she kind of left that and uh, embraced um, uh, Buddhism. Bit, and then kind of sampled a little bit with Hindu New Age kind of thinking in that. And I remember saying, boy, please tell me you hit Islam because then you'd really have hit all of the major world religions in that way. And so um, she was sharing how 
Her life was in a different place and she was confused and yet she felt something here that even though her life did not match many of our lives, there was something here. And I said to her, I said, Helena, I want to invite you. I love this search. I, I love this desire. I want you to come and seek Jesus here. I'm going to do everything I can to support you in the seeking of Jesus. But I do want you to know one thing, is that I'm an evangelical, and what that means in this context right now, that means that I believe that there is only one way to God the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. I, I told her that not, not because I, I wanted to offend in any way, not, not uh, for any other reason, but I wanted her to realize that, that my conviction was deep, that there is no one like Jesus, that I'm not going to simply encourage spirituality or life, but I am going to encourage that you go after Jesus and Jesus alone. That's what you'll find. If you, if you search here, that's where, where, what you'll discover. And, and Jesus, the way that he talks about himself leads me to no other conclusion. Right? To, if you unpack the Christian faith, and you get into the depths of it. The, the Christian faith is not simply a, a, a set of beliefs or, or a moral perspective or, or, or a way to live that, that is nice and kind and you become a helpful citizen. No, the, the Christian life, as you unpack it, it says, no, you are lost. You and I are lost. And that there's one individual that came who claims to be from heaven and has returned to heaven. No one else is from heaven besides Jesus. That he claimed that he lived the perfect life in perfect love, in perfect for forgiveness, in perfect sacrifice. That, that Jesus alone lived that perfect life and gave it up because of our brokenness. That, that Jesus alone is the one who allowed himself to suffer on the cross and enter hell, the depths of hell, that we might escape from the reality of hell in this life and the life to come. That Jesus alone claims that he rose on the third day, that ascended into heaven, and right now is seated at the right hand of the Father. There's no one else that's seated there. In fact, Peter says this, the apostle, he says, faith or baptism saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Those angels, those powers, they are in submission to no one else, no other religious leader, no other faith. It's Jesus alone who claims to rule and reign from heaven right now. 
I said, Helena, uh, now I didn't preach at her like that, but I, I said, I want you to know that that's the heart of what you'll find in this place. And I'm happy to say that she found that Jesus was like no other. That, that Jesus, you can't even compare to any other religious leader in this world. That he, in fact, is the doorway. Jesus says, you, you can't find another way in. There's only one way. Acts 4, 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Matthew 7, Jesus says this. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. Friends, I get concerned that we want to be kind in our pluralistic society, which is not a bad instinct. But if we pull back from the exclusiveness of Christ... We pull back from the power of the gospel. It, it's still about Jesus. The Pharisees could not see it. And sometimes we forget. And what finally the Pharisees missed is that God himself would become the gate. Go back to that uh, picture, Stephen, just a, a moment of the, the sheep pin. So that's kind of narrow. So um, I, I've seen others, but oftentimes that the shepherd, um, what the shepherd would do is he would lead the sheep back into the pen and then he would lay across the doorway. So quite literally, he was the gate. Jesus is picking that up Laying that, I, I don't think Jesus would have been able to lay, maybe this way, but it's uh, pretty narrow. The word became flesh. The word was with God, and the word was God, and he made his dwelling among us. The apostle John says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. God himself has become the doorway. God himself has become the gate. By Jesus teaching the kingdom life is something to be entered in now, he's declaring that the door, he came because of the lostness in our souls. Because of the tendency to wander away. He's saying you can embrace a fullness of life now and into eternity. But you must enter in. 
Paul says to work out your uh, salvation in fear and trembling. He says, for through him, Jesus, we have access to the Father by one spirit. Through him, we get to work out the kingdom life in the here and now. Now, one way that the escape room is not like the kingdom of God is that in the escape room, you have to figure out the riddle, right, or the clues. In the kingdom of God, he doesn't make it that difficult. He, he makes it very, very clear that we get to enter through that. If, uh, some have called it, a, I think it's a, a simple way to remember A, B, C, and D. A is you admit that lostness, that lostness of soul. You believe that Jesus indeed is the doorway, is the gate. You confess. And confess... Um, not only your sin, but you confess that you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And through him, you have eternal life. And some have put, which I appreciate, demonstrate what that means is baptism. And you demonstrate by your life that you're pursuing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Can we pray together? Just wanna just wanna give us a moment. the spirit of God tugging at your heart right now that you have never entered in you've never made that decision to receive Christ maybe you've been raised in the church maybe You've done the things of the Christian life, but you've never admitted, believed, and confessed that Jesus is God. If that's you, I want to lead us in a prayer. Father, we admit that we have sinned, that we are lost without you. Would you pray that just in your heart, in your mind, pray that. Jesus, we believe in you. We believe that you died on the cross for our sins. 
We believe that when we come to you, you wipe us clean of any unrighteousness. Just pray that in your heart. Jesus, we confess you as our Savior, as our Lord, as our King. I want to pray also. There's a word that struck me in prayer uh, in preparation for our service. And that word was complacency in our faith. That we're not pursuing. That maybe we've wandered off from that childlike faith of seeking more of the Lord. That we've... uh, Lost some of that passion and that longing for more of Christ Jesus. That we are not entering in daily. That we're not entering in. That we're not knocking on the door and saying, Lord, I want all of this abundant and this fullness of life that you have. That's you. I want to pray with you as well. Father, for all of us wrestling with that idea of complacency, Holy Spirit, would you prick our hearts and create that first love that we have? That desire, that, that thirst for more of you, that that hunger that we've had in the past but have let go. Lord, would you fill us again with that hunger? Would you place that desire in us to know your voice, to hear your voice as you promised in this text, that we would be a people of your voice, hearing and knowing and longing. Would you stir that? Would you break that complacency? and that passionlessness in our lives. We pray that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.